Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, April 22nd edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next 35 to 40 minutes or so as we talk about the NFL draft with Thor Nystrom from Roto World. Got a lot of draft coverage over at bangthebook.com right now for you to check out. Please make sure that you do that. Also, in lieu of the betters box tomorrow, we'll be talking some NFL draft with John Ryan. So back-to-back days here, well, three days in a row talking about the NFL draft on Bang the Book Radio. We certainly encourage you to check out all of those different shows and encourage you to check out DSI Sportsbook. If you use that promo code BTB and the number 200, 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook, 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. And we bring on today's guest. That is Thor Nystrom from Roto World. Thor, great to chat with you again, man. How are you? Mr. Burke, awesome to be back with you. Yeah, it's great to have you back on the show, man. Everything going well? I know you're nice and busy now. Everything is going tremendous, and it is Christmas Eve right now. We're right on deck for the best time of the year. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. I, I can't wait for the NFL draft to get going. And, and I mean, this is this is definitely a sweet spot for you. You do a lot of stuff with the NFL draft over at Roto World, and we'll go ahead and start here with, uh, you know, I talk about my MLB betting guide as a labor of love, my season preview of all 30 teams, all the division pennant futures, player futures, all that kind of thing. Looks like your labor of love is your big board over at Roto World, 500 players strong. Great job with it, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, and it it certainly is. And, you know, we go 500 deep, but the other thing that I do in there that uh, it truly becomes a labor of love is 500 player comps, which get pretty ridiculous when you get into the, you know, the UDFAs and get down there. But I, I do the best I can with it, you know, dig up on all these players, their athletic profiles. We have their spark scores in there, their rad scores, their adjusted spark scores, like all that kind of stuff. And it's a kind of, thing where you know ever since i was a kid i was obsessed with two things college football and the nfl draft and when i was watching the draft as a kid you know i'd watch all seven rounds i was a sicko you know going back to like nine ten years old i remember being at like you know john strauss's birthday party like when it was the, the rainy moss draft and like you know i'm from minnesota i'm a vikings fan and i remember knowing that the fulcrum point for moss was the dallas cowboys pick and so i was like you know everyone was downstairs playing mario kart and i'm like you know sort of stealing myself away from for my friends, I'm sneaking around the house trying to find another TV, get, you know, get to the broadcast, see, see if who the Cowboys are going to pick. And once Moss gets by there, you know, it, like, it's here. They're like, like, you're effing crazy, man. What are you talking about? You know, and stuff like that. But th- this 500 player thing, you know, I-, I would always have a magazine. And so I'd be crossing off names as I went. Well, those, those big boards, it was usually like 100 or sometimes 150 players or whatever. The most you'd ever see would be like 200. Well, you know, they'd run out at some point, seventh round or whatever. But certainly by the time, you know, the Vikes or these other teams would start signing UDFAs on Saturday night. Well, I didn't know who those guys were, but the UDFA process seemed like a big deal. You know, these guys getting signed. So I figured, you know, once I I had this job, it was a job I always wanted to write about the NFL draft. I always wanted to do a big board that was big enough to encapsulate not only the entire draft, but also what I consider to be the second draft, which is the UDFA process right afterwards. It, a lot of valuable contributors come out of that UDFA process. So I wanted to have a big board that was big enough that once Saturday night's over and all of a sudden it's that UDFA free for all, fans will have that thing. They'll have all the names crossed out of all the guys. You know, and I put out my best available UDFAs 
on Saturday night. You know, so it's just the UDFA guys. It's going to be a list of almost 300 guys. You can check in real time, you know, who your team is signing, who they're comp to, you know, their, their athletic profile, different stuff like that. So true labor of love, and I do love it. Well, and it's it's definitely an awesome thing as well. And like you said, you know, a lot of UDFAs and something else I've kind of been reading about too is that, you know, maybe the supplemental draft winds up being really big this year uh, because we don't know, you know, what this upcoming college football season could look like. So maybe that winds up kind of being a pretty interesting thing to cover as well. But looking at your 500 strong big board here, Thor, everybody's doing mock drafts. I mean, every site out there has tens of tens and, you know, hundreds of these things now because there's really not much else to talk about here in the world of sports. I know that not only are you writing a lot of stuff for Roto World, but you're also soaking up a lot of information, looking at a lot of the other sites, you know, kind of what they're looking at, sort of formulating your thoughts for your own mock draft, which will be posting on Thursday, probably over at Roto World. So with that in mind, who are some of the guys that you feel like maybe you're higher on than everybody else, or maybe a little bit lower on? Uh, one of the guys that I'm higher on than everyone for sure is LaVisca Chenault, the wide receiver from Colorado. And Adam, I know you and, and whoever else out there is a, is a huge college football fan that, you know, that watches the college football game. You're probably with me because you saw LaVisca Chenault just dominate in the Pac-12 whenever he was healthy, just take on other teams by himself. Um, you know, his, his issue is that it was hard for him to stay healthy and the teams have some trepidation about about that. Um, and also there was a sort of dearth of creativity on the Colorado staff, which sort of f- forced LaVisca because, number one, because he was a singular talent, and also because there was no one that was even close to as good as him, where they were just forcing the ball into his hands over and over and over again in these these various ways. You know, as a Wildcat quarterback, throwing to it to him on the perimeter, you know, throwing it to him in, you know, intermediate, sometimes downfield, but not so much downfield. He, he should have had more opportunities to show what he could do as a wide receiver. He was wasn't given that opportunity almost because of just how good he was and because of how sort of poor his offensive staff was specifically last year. And because of that usage in part, um, his body was not able to hold up to some of the rigors of the hits that he was taking. And because of his game, the, the kid's an absolute gamer. Like he, he, when he gets the ball, he runs like a running back and like a mean running back. Like he is trying to run over defensive backs Um but he's a guy who's fabulously athletic and he didn't get to submit a full athletic profile um, in Indianapolis, which might be another reason why he just drops a little bit. Um, It looks like he might fall into the second round, but I think he's going to be a tremendous value. And if he stays healthy at the, you know, in the NFL, um, he's a guy that to me, uh, you know, could be a top 10, top 15 type, um, you know, value. I, I rank him 19, just dinging him a little bit for the durability stuff. But to me, you know, just in terms of talent, He's pretty dang close to a top 10 talent in this class. So that would be one guy. Um, Denzel Mims is another guy. Wait, wait, um, you know, Chenault, let me oh, ask you yeah. real quickly here. His first round yes-no prop, I'm seeing plus 275, plus 280 out there to be a first-round pick. Do you think a team with a first-round pick will take him, or are those injury concerns just too big to overcome? So – you know, in, in a vacuum, you know, I all the way up until a month ago, I just would have said, yeah, absolutely. You should take those odds. I mean, just in terms of talent, you know, uh, him against some of these other guys, like he's more physically gifted than these guys. And he's also shown more on the field than a lot of these guys. You know, his degree of difficulty was higher than a lot of these receivers that are around him. Um, but 
the tide seems to have turned around, you know, against him where he's like sort of the forgotten guy amongst the top group of that receivers. And the, the health is a big part of it. And this sort of goes into the time that we are in with the coronavirus. And he, I think, is sort of a victim of his circumstance. And he was a victim of circumstance in some ways, just of being at Colorado. You know, I talked about that with the usage. He's also sort of a victim of circumstance as, as far as just what this process was, because he wasn't able to get into buildings and he wasn't able to get examined by, you know, these various teams as doctors and stuff like that. And, you know, we saw this with Tua where, you know, a bunch of there was a bunch of rumors about, you know, different stuff with Tua's health and stuff like that. And a big part of that was just because, Tua wasn't able to get examined by each interested teams as parties, uh, medical teams. And so they have to rely on a different doctor, even though that guy was a, a world renowned hip expert, they have to rely on his word. Well, the NFL is already a paranoid league as is. And so like, you know, a guy like LaVisca Chanel, like, you know, if the, if the NFL, these teams, they have to rely on some other teams as medicals and they know he's been dinged up here these last couple of years. I, I think, you know, you're going to be less inclined to sort of give him the benefit of the doubt. And you're going to be more inclined to just sort of play, um, you know, things, you know, you're going to be more inclined to play things risk averse. And Adam, you and I were talking before, uh, before the show about, you know, th the way that, that this whole situation plays out during the draft, like, you know, the way it actually manifests, you know, it's going to be a crazy draft. It's going to be something we've never seen before, but I sort of anticipate that we're going to see less trades because they're going to be more difficult to complete. And, and, you know, and a lot of the employees, the decision makers are going to be off on their own. So, you know, you have less heads in the room and stuff like that. Um, but then also, you know, in, in terms of like, you know, like talking about drafting guys that have these higher risk profiles because of medicals where you didn't have your, you know, your own team examine them. I think it hurts guys like that um, because, you know, these, these GMs, they're just like us where they're concerned about their jobs as well. And so you don't want to, you know, make a selection that might cost you your job in a year or two. And so like, you know, if, if, if a guy did use a, you know, whatever, a, a, I think Chenault is worth, even with the medical question, I think he's worth the top 20 pick. But if, uh, you know, if a team were to use that on him and let's just say the medicals, it did turn out to be bad. And then the media is asking him, well, did you have your doctor examine him? And he's like, well, no, I couldn't. And it's like, you know, all of a sudden the tie could start to turn on him if, if Chanel turns out to be a bust because his body betrays him. I, I think that stuff plays into these decisions more than, you know, we, we know at home. And I think that's why the tie turns against him a little bit. The odds that you suggest though on Chanel, maybe it's worth a flyer, but it, it really does seem like, like I said, that that tide is turned against him. So even though to me, he is an absolute clear cut, uh, first round talent. I just don't see him mocked in the first round anymore. And this, this is from a lot of guys that get really good Intel. So either teams at the first round end of the first round that need receivers are, are keeping it really close to the vest and doing a good job of, of concealing their interest in Chenault or the, the medical, their, their concerns about that or their paranoia about that is so pronounced that they are going to allow uh, a clear first round talent to filter into the second round. Now, another name that you were starting to bring up there before I stopped you is Denzel Mims. And, and Denzel Mims now, yes, to be a first-round pick, minus 150 out there at Bet Online. Yes, to be a first-round pick, minus 195 at five dimes. So this is a guy with some first-round helium. Seems like the expectation is that he goes in the first round here. Yeah, and I think that he will. Um, he has less questions, although – 
I don't know if that's founded. Um, you know, like it, it's funny, like him against Chenault. Like I have Chenault 19th overall. I, I have Mims 25th. Mims has questions in his evaluation as well. They're different, but again, it's it's just because this the the way that this process is. Mims was able to answer some of these questions about his evaluation to in, in the, the mind of the NFL to lower his risk profile. And what that was with Mims is last season, well, starting in 2018, Mims is a really talented guy, but in 2018, Baylor brought in Jalen Hurd. They sort of filtered their offense through Jalen Hurd, a lot of intermediate stuff. Hurd was playing in the slot. They were throwing it to him a lot. And, uh, uh, Mims sort of like struggled in, in this role and he, this new role that he was in and he dropped some balls. He, he sort of played down a little bit last year, his game jumped back up again. Um, but he was only really running two routes. They, all they really did with him was, was send him deep, run him fly routes or send him on slants over the middle. It was, it was literally just basically two things. And so he, he was running this pruned route tree. Well, so, you know, going into the off season, into his process, there was this idea of like, you know, he's a guy that, that maybe he can't move as well laterally because we either see him, you know, running vertically or else it's just that, you know, the straight shots across the middle or whatever. So maybe he just doesn't have it in him to be able to run, you know, more of the, you know, I mean, a more diverse route tree or whatever. But then he goes to Mobile at the Senior Bowl and he was just cooking, cooking cornerbacks down there in all kinds of routes. You know, it was just, I mean, whatever you needed him to do was just destroying people. And then he goes to the combine and tests as a 95th percentile athlete at wide receiver at 6'3", 207. And so he was able to answer, you know, all those questions about his evaluation, um, and, you know, and, and, and sort of put some of that stuff to bed. The the other thing about Mims is, and I, I don't think some people realize this, I, I see people nitpick Mims's game by saying, like, you know, I saw him push off a lot on tape or, you know, I, I, you know, he, he has some drops, you know, and, and, and some of this different stuff. What people need to realize is Denzel Mims is the only wide receiver. Think about this. He's the only wide receiver prospect in this class who did not have one catch off of a screen pass last year. He did not have one manufactured touch last year at all. It, it, it was literally just stuff downfield or else stuff over the middle. It, it, every single catch that he had, he had to work for. So his, his degree of difficulty was higher than some of these guys. Um, and he was doing what was asked of him. That that was just what, what Matt Rule, you know, and, and what the system was, you know, had, had asked of him or whatever. And he did pretty dang well of it. He was one of the better downfield guys in the nation. I comp him to DJ Shark who was a guy who fell into the second round, but is having a pretty dang good career so far. Um, you know, and a guy who also had a very good athletic profile as well. So um, I, I do think that Mims goes because, you know, at least perceptually he has a lower risk profile just because you, you have everything there as far as the athletic profile stuff. He doesn't have the, the durability concerns. Chenault was a better player in a vacuum, you know, just apples to apples when they were on the field. But you know, that stuff with the durability stuff and the NFL's paranoia, I think that's why Mims has moved above him, at least perceptually. Since we're talking about wide receivers here, let's go ahead and talk about the top three here, the class of the wide receiver group. You've got C.D. Lamb, you've got Jerry Judy, you've got Henry Ruggs. And if you look out there in the marketplace right now, first wide receiver drafted C.D. Lamb minus 120. That's one of the numbers that's out there. You've got another minus 120 out there at five dimes. So the same number at Bet Online and five dimes. And also, you've got exact order props out there at Bet Online 
for the order of Lamb, Judy, and Ruggs. That order specifically in terms of the order of them being drafted, plus 230 to go Lamb, Judy, Ruggs. Judy, Lamb, Ruggs is plus 260. Lamb, Ruggs, Judy, plus 600. How do you sort of see these top three wide receivers shaking out here? The um, the one that would be interesting there as far as like, if I was going to take a flyer, I think the one that you just mentioned that I would take a flyer on, you know, like uh, I think the one would be Lambs, Rugs, Judy, just because of the odds. Because you said that was plus 600, right? Yeah, Lamb, Rugs, Judy at plus 600. Yeah, if there was if there was one of the, I mean, I mean, because you know, is perceptual... Lamb definitely the first wide receiver off the board. I think that there's a good shot. Um, you know, of course, there's a shot that Judy could go as well. But I, but there's to me, there's no shot that Lamb is the third one. Whereas I do think that there's a shot that Judy is. You know, that there is a shot that Rugs goes before uh, Judy. I, I don't think that there's a great shot, but I do think that there is. Um, a chance, you know, I mean, Ruggs has, he's got a card to play that not many people who have ever entered the NFL do, you know, that high octane athleticism, that four, two speed, he's got the, the Tyree kill thing going for him. And the other thing that Ruggs has, I don't know if a lot of people realize this about him. He has the second biggest hands in the wide receiver class of all these guys. I mean, you think of all these freaks we have in this receiver class, one of the best receiver classes of all time. We have we have guys in this class who are like 6'6", 220. You know, we have, we have all these just monsters. Henry Ruggs has the second biggest hands of the whole class. And not only that, he only dropped like one or two balls last year. Like, he really doesn't drop, drop balls. Um, at Alabama, they threw the ball a lot more to Judy. Um, but Ruggs is just an insane athlete. And if people out there have seen Ruggs's uh, high school basketball highlights, he, he has a dunk reel where he's just like, it's, it looks like a video game. He's just like dunking over people. So um, Ruggs is a little bit less refined. His routes aren't as good, but I, I cut him a little bit of slack for that. Cause my whole thing is like, when you're running in the four twos, it's a little bit harder to have, you know, the fancy footwork and slow yourself down a little bit. Cause just because you're moving faster than the speed of sound, you know what I mean? Like it's just a little bit harder. Um, but I, I could see a scenario where, um, you know, where, where Lamb goes first. I, I think that that is, you know, the, the favorite outcome. I certainly, I would be a proponent of that. And that, um, you know, that, that rugs could potentially move ahead of Judy. I do think, Judy probably is the second guy to go, but Judy did not have the best process. Lamb had a, had a great process, you know, but uh, Judy didn't have the best one. He went to the combine, didn't test very well. He had a very, he had a weird thing with the star of David necklace. And then he, he explained it later on. It was okay. But like at the time it was weird for people and um, it, there's stuff like that. And then uh, there was a report that just came out about a, a surgery that he had, a year ago or so, or two years ago that, that we hadn't known about before. It, it doesn't look like it's something super serious, but there's just been a couple more things with him that, uh, you know, heading into the process, um, you know, he was just a bit higher and a couple things have dinged him just a little bit. Um, and again, Ruggs has that sort of thing where he has this trump card where you call him a field tipper because even on plays where he is not involved, you have to account for Ruggs every time. He moves the safety back every single play. You you need to know where Henry Ruggs is at all times because he gets downfield so quickly and he catches the ball if you put it in his vicinity. So I could potentially see a team saying, you know, if, if Lamb goes first and then it's a, you know, you say like, um, you know, Adam, you want to talk specifics like, you know, I think uh, I think there's a chance that that the first wide receiver off the board, you know, it could be 
it, it might not be till Vegas at 12. You know, like, I mean, we might get the four tackles off the board. The, the, the fourth one might be the Jets there at 11. I know Cleveland's going to take one at 10. They might be the third one, especially if Arizona at eight takes one, right? Like, I'm pretty sure the Giants at four are going to take one. So that would be that'd be number one. Assuming the the the, the uh, Dolphins and the Chargers go QB QB, one of them might take a tackle. Has been a rumor, but you know, if they go QB QB, um, you're you're going to get potentially the the second tackle there at Arizona. But we'll just say either way that that by the eighth pick, two tackles are gone. The third one's going to be gone at ten. I think in that scenario, almost assuredly, the Jets take the fourth one because we have the big four tackles in this class and they badly need a tackle. So you, 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 you would almost sort of be forced to there. Well, in that scenario, the first wide receiver off the board in that scenario, it would be probably at 12, you know, unless, you know, a team like Jacksonville decides to askew what is probably a bigger needed other position or a team like that. But, you know, Arizona's already traded for a receiver, you know, and stuff like that. So I think that there's a decent chance that that the first receiver off the board, it's it's around that 12th pick. Um, I would assume that that Lamb, just because I, I, I think he's a better better prospect, and like I said, better process, the, the careers of the two guys were, were very similar. But um, I, I just think, he, you know, slightly better there, slightly less questions. And then the next pick there, San Francisco, um, that might be the the next receiver. Well, it gets kind of interesting there. You know, do, would you go Judy? Would you go um, Rugs? You know, I mean, it's it it gets kind of interesting there. So, I mean, yeah, at, at odds like that, you know, I, I I don't know on a prop like that if I would take if I would just go with chalk. I might take I might take the odds and uh, on on a smaller bet and just just try to play the odds. Yeah, and as you take a look here, you got CeeDee Lamb over under 12 and a half, kind of seeing the same number for Jerry Judy out there, 12 and a half. The juice is different, though. Lamb's juice up in the minus 200 range to go uh, somewhere in the first 12. And as you mentioned, 12, probably the landing spot for him. I mean, you got if Kyle Shanahan's got a choice between, you know, Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs, that's really interesting because does he want the route runner, the guy that you figure Garoppolo can maybe get the intermediate stuff to? Or do you want the home run hitter in Ruggs who's also got the really big hands and maybe a guy that can kind of you know, sort of grow into that profile? Should be really, really interesting to see how those wide receivers shake out. What about the quarterbacks? We know Burrow's going one, barring some sort of completely strange and odd circumstance. Is two of the second quarterback off the board, or is it Justin Herbert? Do we? You just mentioned you think that you know, this may be a more conservative first round in terms of trades. So maybe we get you know the second quarterback taken at five, something like that. Maybe somebody dra- trades up to take the Giants pick at four. But right now it looks like Tua going five is what the betting market thinks. What does Thorne Eystrom think? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think I still think Tua to the Dolphins, you know. And I thought that even throughout all this this smoke, where you know it started to be like, no, the Dolphins actually like Justin Herbert, you know, and they're concerned about Tua because. The way that I I thought about this is like we knew going back like a year plus that the Dolphins liked Tua. I mean, it was like that was one of the worst kept secrets in the draft media is that the you know there was a whole thing of like you know tank for Tua and all this stuff, and it was you know specifically with regards to to the Dolphins. And then all of a sudden, it it was like uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, these media reports start coming out of like no the the Dolphins are actually really concerned about, uh, you know, Tua's hip, and they actually don't like him as much as as they had let on. Their guy has actually been Herbert all along, and 
that's the guy they're targeting and stuff like that. And you start to see more and more reports about that. And, you know, and, and so it, it, it was really strange because it's like, okay, well, so either that's true and the Dolphins have just horrible leaks in their organization because all they had to do was shut the hell up and everyone would have gone into the draft assuming that they loved Tua because that was the narrative the whole time. All they had to do was just not leak it and, and Herbert just would have fallen to them. Or they're the dumbest organization in the world and, and they, they, you know, they, they have evaluated for whatever reason Herbert to be their guy, but they, they let this secret leak out which would allow a team to hop them. So, so you think what, what's the more likely scenario that, that they are such a poorly run organization that they would flip the prospect that they had liked, you know, all the way through uh, up until the last couple of weeks before the draft change it and then start telling all of their media contacts um, or that they still like to all along as we knew and that they let this out because they want Tua to fall to them without having to trade up. It it seems to me that one of those scenarios is way more likely than the other. Um, but I guess we'll find out how well or poorly run the Dolphins are when would we tomorrow night? You know. So you got Tua under five and a half minus one sixty or so. Same thing to be the second quarterback drafted. That makes sense. Five to Miami makes sense. I don't know if anyone's going to trade up ahead of Miami to get him. I don't really necessarily see that being the scenario some people think maybe there's a chance that somebody takes the lions pick and takes Tua, but i don't really see that being the case uh herbert the third quarterback drafted minus 150 that makes a lot of sense what about jordan love i mean how do you think teams are kind of viewing this guy where you've got over under 19 and a half as his pick over 19 and a half pretty heavily juiced minus 190 so the expectation here that jordan love not taken in the first 19 picks of the first round. That sound about right to you? So what what are the odds of going below 19 and a, so 20 or, or lower? What, what what are the odds on that? The odds of going over or over 19 and a half. So 20 or higher here in or 20. And see the language is always such a pain in the ass here for is, the draft cuz yeah. cuz you think under and you think well that means he's going to go later, but actually pick 20 or higher in this case minus 190 on Jordan Love. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, the, the way that, that I see it, I, I think that he might be fun a little bit more than that because that, you know, with at the 19 thing, you know, what Vegas is saying there is with the Raiders second pick. Well, if the Raiders want Jordan love so bad, why wouldn't they just take him at, at, at 12 first off? Um, you know, you, you would, you would risk getting hopped. And the second thing is, is like, Jordan Love, the the risk profile there is you know is is quite high. You know, people out there like Jordan Love was was awesome in in 2018. He, you know, his, his TDI and T ratio is like 30 to six. You know, something like that. And then he he was playing with a couple NFL players. Darwin Thompson was one of them. Uh, Ron Quavian, Tarver, Dax Raymond, guys like that. And th- he lost some of those guys. Lost his most of his offensive line. His his uh, the coaching staff left um and the roster that came back was horrible and a new coaching staff and last season jordan love was was quite bad you know i mean like they um uh, uh pro football focus has an advanced wins metric that showed that like jordan love was essentially like an average player last year and his tdi and t ratio was was like you know barely above one to one you know i he was either led the nation in interceptions thrown or was, was dang close to it. 
he was already he already had some raw elements to his game and then last year um the decision making and the processing of the field um he got some really really bad habits ingrained into him where he was trying to like take on the whole weight of the world um you know some plays and then you know other drives he was just really frustrated and it was just like his his brain was melting down um he does have a ton of tools, you know, I mean, you know, in, in terms of his build, um, just about perfect 6'4", 224, tested in the 75th percentile. You know, he's a very athletic kid, and the ball just shoots out of his hands. But, again, the decision-making process is uh, sort of playground-y, you know, and the NFL doesn't really suffer that, you know, so it, it's going to require work. Um, and, and to take a player that high – especially in a draft class like this that's really stacked there at the top, you would have to take love over a bunch of these guys that are that are sure things. You know, I mean, like, you know, we're, we're talking about, like, you know, these, these different guys. We're banding about these names, you know, like Lamb and Judy, and we're talking about the tackles, you know, like Andrew Thomas and Jadrick Wills and Tristan Wirfs and, you know, Mekhi Becton. And, you know, we talk about the edges like Chase on, you know, Justin Jefferson, another name, you know, the, the corners, like – there's there's so many guys here. Um, th- sure, there's going to come like a point of demarcation with love where it's worth it. But for me at, at 19, you know, I I just don't know about that. Like the, the Raiders got a, a couple guys that you know, they got Carr and Mariota like, um, you know, and, and I think that they think that they're getting pretty close to their contention window. Um, they seem to be an organization, at least recently under Mayock and under Gruden, they have been taking guys from these established programs. Like, you know, I, I, I have this joke where like, it's like Clemson and Alabama, like, you know, half their picks are, are from there or whatever, which by the way, going back to the prop thing, maybe, maybe that's more a data point of like rugs or Judy, you know, with, with that 12th pick or whatever. But um, although I suppose Oklahoma is, is also a blue blood, but I, the, the Raiders have been sort of going that way. Um, and so, you know, just in terms of like, would they sort of take him above what, what myself and some of the, the other guys that do this for a living think that loves ranges? Well, maybe, maybe they feel that they're that desperate and they, they feel that like cars just absolutely, or Mariota that absolutely they cannot roll forward with them after this season. But um, I don't know that they would send that message to their, their roster by going that way. I, I I'm not sure that that's the right decision for them. Um, I I tend to think that love is going to go in the twenties, um, but that's just me. You know, it, it it only takes one team, and the second that Justin Herbert gets taken, love is sort of on the clock. You know, so I, I suppose that's where the thing about him going in the teens comes in. But uh, it, it is a good number by Vegas. You know, that's that's about where you'd set it. But I uh, I don't know about the Raiders taking him there with with that second pick because I yeah anyway. I don't know why you just wouldn't take him with the first one to guarantee him if you like him that much. All right. So let's talk offensive linemen here, because as you mentioned, I mean, there's, there's a pretty good chance that we've got, you know, four tackles taken here in the first 10 or 11 picks for the longest time. Tristan Wirfs was the favorite to be the first offensive lineman drafted. And we all kind of expected that at four to the giants, but now Jedrick wills the favorite minus one ten out there at bet online. You get his draft position over under eight and a half under eight and a half at minus 205, but that looks like a pretty easy bet to make here at this point in time with probably two tackles coming off the board in the first eight picks. Uh, Andrew Thomas, his draft position's kind of moved around a little bit right now, over under 10 and a half, minus 165 to be a top 10 pick. Uh, of course, you've got Makai Becton, kind of the project, but the athlete guy. Looks like his stock kind of falling a little bit to maybe go 
11 there to the Jets, as you mentioned. Over 8.5, minus 380 on the chalk there for that one. So how do you kind of rank these offensive linemen, and where do you sort of expect to see them going? I like that Andrew Thomas pick in the first round or uh, in the top 10. I, 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 you know, cause I do think that there's a really good shot that the four guys go um, in the top 11. And I, I don't see Andrew Thomas being the fourth one to go. Um, I think to me, I, I would sort of see his floor as being the Browns. And I think he's a great fit for the Browns because the Browns need a left tackle specifically because they spent all that money on, the right tackle. Thomas is the only guy to me in this class of, of the three that projects cleanly to the left side. You know, I mean, Jedrick Wills played right at Alabama. Wirfs played right at Iowa. He slid to the left uh, for a few games last year because the left guy, Alaric Jackson, he got injured for a little bit. But outside of that, Wirfs played right his entire career. And, you know, he sort of lacks prototypical length for the left side. And then Becton, he sort of flipped around in Louisville's offense, but he doesn't really have the movement skills to cleanly project to the left side long-term in the NFL, you know, and, and guys that big, like I, I just wouldn't want him there. He he seems like a much cleaner fit to the right side. So I think Andrew Thomas's floor is probably 10. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I usually like with the props to, to take the plus side of it, you know, and, and, and get better, you know, than, than even money or whatever. But um of, of of the of the odds that you threw out there that that's the one that i like the most all right let's let's just jump around here with a few other positions and kind of do some yes no first round type stuff last year for those that don't know we had you on for the draft and and you were really really stumping for a tight end you were really stumping for tj hawkinson do yep. we get a tight end in the first round here i've seen that in the plus 400 range does somebody make a reach for a tight end or a do we just not have a guy close enough to the first round here? I It would be a mistake if they did, I, I think. Um, it's a really poor tight end class. I have seen some, like, reports that maybe Cole Komet goes in the first round, but I I would be really surprised. Uh, Cole, I find Cole Komet to be an overrated prospect. Um, watching his tape, he, he just doesn't block. And as a receiver, you know, I talked about Denzel Mims had no manufactured production. Cole Komet had a surprising amount of manufactured production for a tight end. They throw the ball to him like on the perimeter, like screens and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I just find him to be an overrated prospect. He's a guy that moves though and, and looks like a first round tight end. So I, but could he slide in there? I, I would be really surprised. I, I would take the no on that one, but the odds just aren't there. That's a stay away for me. All right. What about DeAndre Swift? I'm seeing first round. Yes. A first round pick minus one Oh five at five dimes. I'm seeing, yes, a first-round pick, minus 135 at Bet Online. So some difference of opinion, maybe some different exposure between those two books. Does somebody take DeAndre Swift? I mean, he's probably the only first-round running back in this draft class, right? So does somebody take him in the first round? I would take I would take the no on that. I think the I think the NFL is getting smarter with this, you know, in terms of uh, dropping the running backs down. And with this this class specifically, you have nine maybe even 10 running backs that you could project to potentially start whether right away or pretty dang close to right away. And and maybe that delineation point is eight and Antonio Gibson at nine is just an incredibly intriguing um, uh, boomer bust type running back. But, you know, wherever that number is, 
the teams that need, you know, a guy to play right away uh, at running back, it's not much bigger than that. And so those teams can afford to wait until day two. There's so many guys that are, you know, are clear first rounders at, in, in this, this draft that are at positions of much higher value. Um, I would just see waiting. The the only team that I could really see doing it would be like Miami because they'd be like, oh, you know, we got three first round picks in YOLO. You know, we'll just use the third one and, you know, sort of take the flyer there. But even with them, like, why would you do that as opposed to taking one of these receivers, you know, or like, you know, taking a corner or taking one of the, you know, uh, taking an offensive lineman there. I, I just... And, and and by the way, I don't think that Swift is the best back in this class. I think that Jonathan Taylor is it not that that Taylor, you know, I'm saying that he'll go above him, but um I I, I yeah, anyway, I'm just not convinced that a that a running back's gonna go in, in, in the first round. So I, I would take the no on that side of it. I'll tell you what, I, I think if there's one that goes in the first round, it's maybe Edwards Hilaire, just because he's maybe the best receiving back. You know, of the top guys yes. in this class. J.K. Dobbins is a very good receiver, too. But Edward C. Lair is the kind of guy that makes sense for a team schematically that likes to use the running backs a lot. That would be the one that I would think maybe has kind of an outside shot at being a first-round pick if you find any kind of odds for that. A couple more players I want to pick your brain on real quickly here, Thor. We'll save the best for last. So I want to talk about Jalen Hurts here real quick. Jalen Hurts, a favorite to go in the second round, minus 130 third round plus 170 initially we saw the third round as the favorite but now we're kind of seeing that maybe someone will take a shot on him in the second round it's minus 115 over at five dimes but is is Jalen Hurts going to be a top 65 pick in this draft yeah I I, I think uh you know of those two um I I think yeah second round I I think that's probably what I would say too um you know we've heard rumors that his stock is going up and from having evaluated Jalen Hurts, I, I can see that, you know, now you have to know what you're getting in Jalen Hurts. Um, I, I, in my, my Thor 500 big board, I comp him to, he's the only non-football comp that I did, but I comp him to Ricky Rubio because they're, they're players that, uh, they, they have, you know, a bunch of clearly delineated strengths and one, uh, very clearly delineated flaw. Ricky Rubio, of course, couldn't shoot, and Jalen Hurts has a real issue throwing downfield and and and, and reading defenses downfield. Um, but you know, Hurts has all these strengths. Um, you know, as far as as mobility, he's a and, and and not just not just mobility, but he's an extremely strong kid. He was a Texas you know power state lifting champion in high school and stuff like that. He's also very good in the intermediate game, and so like a team will have to talk themselves into building an offense around him. That would sort of be like this, uh, you know, going back to a term that the Texans used a couple years ago, but like a, an exotic smash mouth type, old school, new school, hybrid type thing where you could run a spread up tempo, run heavy, um, you know, where it's like, you know, a lot of runs and then a lot of play action, a lot of RPO type stuff that would kind of look like, you know, kind of look like the stuff he was doing at Alabama and kind of look like the stuff he was doing at at Oklahoma, where it'd be, you know, maybe you got a big back next to him and stuff like that. And, you know, you're hurrying back to the line and then you got a couple good receivers. And what Jalen Hurts is really good at as a passer, there's there's two different things. He's really good at intermediate accuracy. We, we saw that even going back to Alabama when he was just a one read guy. He could always hit a guy on the hand streaking across the middle. And then the other thing is he does not turn the ball over. And the NFL is really going to like that. Um, and they're really going to like the fact that this is a guy who was mentored by Nick Saban, mentored by Lincoln Riley, two coaches that are going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame 
uh, people know that he's a leader. Um, we again, Peter King, guys like that have reported that you know Jalen Hurts is going to go higher than you think. I, I think that that's probably going to be in the second round. All right. So as we look at sort of the composition, not only of the top five, but of the top ten, you got Burrow first. You more than likely got Chase Young going second. Jeff Okuda probably to Detroit at three, although we've seen you know, a lot of steam here lately for Derek Brown, maybe possibly going in that three spot. The Giants are going to take an offensive lineman at four in all likelihood. The quarterbacks maybe go five, six. The player who's kind of getting left out of this equation, if you do think four tackles are going in the first 11 picks, is a guy that you and I both absolutely love. And that's Isaiah Simmons. If Simmons yep. makes it to 10 for the Browns, I'm going to be ecstatic, and I swear to God, I hope they take him <laughs> over a left tackle. I don't know if they will, but I really hope they do. But as you kind of look at the needs, and as you kind of look at the mock drafts and stuff like that for these teams, is it possible that a guy as gifted, as talented, as versatile as Isaiah Simmons could actually be a faller here? Maybe there's there's a couple different scenarios because he has a couple different spots. Um, you know, certainly getting past the Giants seems like the Giants are going to take a tackle, but you know they they had thought about looking at him for a little bit, but it looks like they're going to take a tackle. The next spot there would be Carolina, and then the other one is is potentially Arizona. But yeah, there there would be a shot that he does get to to ten. You know, I I do think there's a shot. And by the way, to your point, um, I did a, a a podcast with a Browns writer where. Uh, we were talking about this, and he asked me, is there any scenario where if you were the Browns, you would not take a tackle at 10? And I said, there's only one, uh, and that's if Mr. Isaiah Simmons, Mega Derwin James, falls to 10. It's the only one. If he falls there, you have to take Isaiah Simmons. Outside of that, you have to take the tackle. You just do. Just turn the card in. But um, outside of that, you know, uh, Isaiah Simmons, you take him. Um, and, Adam, it's funny, like, I remember going back a couple of national titles ago. I'll never forget it. We were talking about props back then. And, and you told me, you know, it was, it was Bama against Clemson. And, and you said, uh, you know, one of your favorite props on the board was Isaiah Simmons and his tackles in that game. And you said, I think Isaiah Simmons is going to play a big factor in this game. He's going to have a big game. And man, he sure did. And that was one of, you know, in terms of the national perception of Isaiah Simmons, that was one of his sort of national coming out parties. Him and AJ Terrell, you know, they, they sort of kicked off that party. And uh, yeah, ever since then, Isaiah Simmons has just been woom, 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 just rising, rising, rising up until testing at the combine, tested as the best, you know, athletic testing linebacker of all time. Um, to me, I, I think I had him number four on, on my board. Um, yeah, slam dunk pick at 10. I, I I hope he's there. I don't know if he will be. I mean, I I don't know. What, what do you think Carolina does? Is it Brown if he's there? Um, I mean, for me, it would, it would certainly be Simmons. I To me, uh, Simmons is objectively the better uh, prospect than, than Derek Brown. But... Um, you know, it's it, it, it's hard to say, but, you know, I mean, Carolina has needs at both spots. Um, and to me, and, you know, they have more needs than that on, on defense. And the tremendous thing about Isaiah Simmons, and, and some people see this as a negative, but I find those people to be insane, is that they'll be like, oh, you know, Isaiah Simmons, he doesn't have a, a clearly delineated position. And, you know, if you put him at one spot, he'll struggle. And it's like, well, no, in fact... He's just awesome at every position. You know, like last year, Isaiah Simmons played something like 825 snaps for Clemson, something like that. If if you look at his PFF numbers, you look at the advanced stuff, he took over 100 snaps at five different positions. 
um, you know, like in the slot at, at edge uh, as a deep safety, you know, uh, off ball linebacker. And I'm for, I'm forgetting one, but literally five different uh, positions. And he graded out as an 80 plus, which is really good in every single metric run defense uh, coverage, rushing the passer and tackling at every single one of those positions. So basically he's a stud at essentially anywhere that you could put him. And he's, you know, for, for folks out there, he's a guy who athletically, he is just south of Kelvin Johnson. Like, like that's the kind of athlete we're talking about. He's just south of his athletic profile. He's not quite there, but he's just south of that. So you think of someone who's just south of that profile, just a little bit smaller, just a little bit less athletic. But a guy like that, that you can put at slot cornerback who just locks people down. You can put him at edge rusher and just get sick him on the quarterback, put him at linebacker, tackle machine, you put him at deep safety. You know, just, I mean, tremendous range, you know, ball hawk. I mean, like, you're talking about a guy who can literally do anything, and he is that chess piece guy. He's the guy that, like, Brett Venables just had so much fun with him. He was like a toy. And, you know, I, I it was like Battleship. You know, like, you put him over the, the other guy, what the other offensive coordinator, like, what's his pressure point? Okay, we're going to take that thing away. What, what's, what, you know, what do you do that, like, you kill other teams with? Well, we got Isaiah Simmons, so you're not doing that this game. That's the player that Isaiah Simmons is. Yeah, I, I I think somebody's gonna have a really really good player fall into their laps if they you know if the first round of the top ten picks kind of shake out the way that we're expecting them to. And speaking of the way that you expect the first round to shake out, you're gonna have a mock draft coming up soon over at Roto World. You've already got this big board. You've got position breakdowns. So much great stuff over there, man. Where can people find you? And uh, you'll just sort of pat yourself on the back here a little bit because you deserve it. Thanks, man. Yeah, you guys can find my work at Roto World. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Thorku, uh, T-H-O-R-K-U. I'll be on Twitter, you know, all throughout the draft. So so come and check me out. Check out that uh, that Thor 500 big board with, with player comps, you know, the RAS scores, the Spark scores, everything like that. And the other cool thing is during the draft, you know, after Thursday night, I update that thing. And so right when the draft gets done on Thursday night, I'll post an update on Roto World, best available day two. On, on Friday night, when, when the draft gets done, right away, we'll, we'll have it up, best available day three, an updated version. And when the draft gets done on Saturday, whenever, you know, like I was talking about when I was a kid, when all the names were crossed off, I will have roughly 300 names still available, the best available UDFAs. So check us out on, on Roto World. Come and say hi to me on, on Twitter. Um, I'll be plenty active these next three days. Yeah, it's Thor. It's awesome to chat with you, man. It's awesome to get you back on the show here again at Thor KU on Twitter. Roto World is the rep- website, and that mock draft is coming up here uh, over the next eh, what twenty four hours or so, something like that. So yep. definitely keep an eye out for that as well. Thor, an absolute pleasure, brother. Uh, you know, I know people like to talk about my work ethic, but it pales in comparison to yours, man. This is excellent, phenomenal work. I hope you're getting the credit that you deserve because you deserve a lot of it. And thanks so much for joining me on the show today, man. Mr. Burke, it is always a pleasure. And I I don't know if anyone's work ethic pales in comparison to yours, man. You are a prolific grinder, but I will certainly take a compliment like that from someone like you. I love having you on the show, man. Thank you so much. Enjoy the draft, and we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate you. There you go. There's Thor Nystrom of Roto World once again at ThorKU on Twitter. The Thor 500 big board, all the position breakdowns, and also that mock draft coming up very soon over at rotoworld.com.
Coming up on our Thursday edition of Bang the Book Radio, we'll actually chat some more NFL draft with John Ryan, professional handicapper and contributor to bangthebook.com. We'll save the betters box, and we'll do that again here after the weekend on Monday. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.